Greetings, my friend, and welcome to Beyond Curious. Conversations with brave adventurers taking voyages into the unknown to fulfill their purpose, satisfy their curiosity, and to see what they're made of. My name is Brandon Fong, and I so appreciate you for being here, and I'm beyond excited to introduce you to today's guest, Dr. Benjamin Hardy. If you really study decision-making, when you make your goals you know, insanely bigger, it actually weeds out almost everything. Like to actually go for a seemingly impossible goal, you can't do more, you actually have to do less because most things won't get you there. How'd you like that new intro music, huh? Pretty fancy. (laughs) Uh, I'm just having so much fun playing and thinking about and dreaming about Beyond Curious and what this is. So if you're listening to this in the show order and you're following along, this is the very first interview episode that is standing on its own on Beyond Curious. And there is a reason why I wanted to have Dr. Benjamin Hardy on as the very first guest here. So if you haven't heard of Dr. Hardy, who is actually a previous guest, but let me read his bio. Dr. Benjamin Hardy is an organizational psychologist and is the world's leading expert on the psychology of entrepreneurial leadership and exponential growth. His PhD research focused on entrepreneurial courage and transformational leadership. Before completing his PhD, his blogs were read by over 100 million people. He published his first major book, Willpower Doesn't Work, and he was running a seven-figure online training business. Since finishing his PhD in 2019, Dr. Hardy has published five additional books, including three co-authored with the legendary entrepreneurial coach, Dan Sullivan. His books have sold hundreds of thousands of copies, and he is a sought-after teacher and speaker at corporate and entrepreneurial events, as well as Fortune 500 companies. He and his wife, Lauren, are the parents of six kids and live in Orlando, Florida. Man, oh man, this is an incredible episode, and as always, there's so much you're going to learn, but I would love for you to look out for three specific things. Number one, why going 10x in your life and business is actually easier than going 2x. Number two, how to massively upgrade your identity by being driven from your future self rather than what happened to you in the past. That is massive. And number three, I want you to look out for the difference between being a wanter versus being a needer and how you can leverage this concept to eliminate any form of imposter syndrome. Guys, when I told you about all of Ben's books from his bio, I have read all of them. Willpower doesn't work, personality isn't permanent, be your future self now, the gap versus the gain, who not how, and now 10x is easier than 2x. And I honestly think that this one that we're centering this interview around is not only my favorite, but I would argue that it's a top 10 book for me. And I read a lot of books. When Ben actually finished the book, he sent me a early release copy. And so I actually got to read it towards the end of 2022. So at this point, I've actually read the book twice and listened to the audiobook once. So this is my, I've listened to it and read it three times. It's incredible. And a few months ago, Ben actually put together a challenge designed to get people together and implement the concepts of the book. And I actually joined that challenge. And what I didn't know at the time of the recording that I did with Ben is that I would actually end up winning the challenge. So, uh, 
Uh, I'm actually super excited because in a few months, I'm going to be flying out to meet Dr. Hardy and his team and the other challenge winners and the people are, that are in his premium group that are all 10xing and doing some incredible, incredible stuff in the world. So not only do I love Ben because he's an amazing human, but I think this content is a perfect representation of what it means to go beyond curious, to literally have to subtract what doesn't belong in your life and only amplify what does belong so that you can become the most authentic version of yourself. So without any further ado, here is my friend, Dr. Benjamin Hardy. Dr. Benjamin Hardy, one of my favorite humans. Oh my gosh, super excited to have you here and ready to dive in for round two and get to share some concepts that have already changed my life that I know will change so many other people's lives. So grateful to have you here, man. This is going to be so much fun. I'm stoked always to be with you. You're, you have a Ferrari brain and so you pick <laughs> up everything super fast and uh, yeah, we're just going to have fun chatting. 10X is easier than 2X. For sure. I thought a great place to start. And uh, as we were just talking beforehand, we, we'll, we'll go with the flow here and we'll turn this into a uh, uh, probably maybe a more of a different style interview that I would do, but we'll just go with the flow. I thought a great way to start would be to share one of the 10x jumps that you had that led to you actually creating this book. Um, and so you actually talked about this, I think, in your other book, Who Not How, but it, you were at a Genius X meeting and you saw Dan Sullivan give a presentation and you kind of, he sits down next to you and something magical happens that kind of created a, a, a massive transformation in your partnership and your journey. I would love for you to kind of share what that jump was for you. Yeah. So basically what happened was, um, and by the way, this is pretty much likely my last book with Dan Sullivan, but it was, it was a 10 X jump by far. So yeah, uh, the story actually is before that. So when I was basically from 2010 to 2014, so I ended up getting in into my PhD program in 2014 in the fall. And so during those four years, I was studying psychology, studying self-development, and ultimately it started leading to studying entrepreneurship. I was never actually intending on becoming an entrepreneur. I was thinking I would be like a writer, a professor, honestly, and then maybe even a therapist. But ultimately, it ended up <laughs> trending more and more to entrepreneurship, which led me into business psychology rather than counseling psychology. But my Aunt Jane in 2014 joined Genius Network, the group Genius Network, and she started passing me, you know, mailing me these little books from this guy named Dan Sullivan. And this was at, during my first year of my PhD program. And I'm literally studying entrepreneurial courage. I was researching when you when you're in a PhD program, you're studying with an advisor. Like rather than joining a program, you actually join a specific professor because you like their research. And I joined this lady named Cindy Purry. She's one of the top researchers on the psychology of courage. And so I came in and she'd never done any research on entrepreneurship. And so I just thought it was a perfect fit where I was going to study entrepreneurial courage. And, and, and ultimately I was doing that on the academic side and just reading all sorts of stuff. But I was also reading tons and tons and tons of Dan Sullivan and just getting to know his thinking a little bit more and honestly being blown away by it. So you fast forward a few years and, you know, I become a very successful blogger. I get a six figure book deal and I joined Genius Network in 2017 and then just jump up to the higher program. And that's when I meet Dan. And it was really in early 2018 during my first year in that program that, yeah, one of these days he's just doing this training on who, not how. And, and I was so blown away by the idea and I just saw it as such a catchy idea. And like, I think in terms of powerful ideas, honestly. And so I just, I, it was just at that meeting that was 
like I hadn't known him very long. Um, and I just told him if he ever wants to turn that into a major book, I'd love to do it. And ultimately we ended up doing that. It took a, about a year and a half to get the right publisher. And, uh, but we launched it and the book became really successful and it led to two other books. So, I mean, that was kind of it. I mean, but writing those three books and honestly the last four or five years since that started, I mean, I've pretty much 10 X as a person and as an author and as an entrepreneur. And, uh, you know, if I track back like book number one to book six, now this is like the sixth major one. Like I don't really compare them. Yeah. It must be kind of surreal for you too. Uh, I mean, I know one of the things that you talk about in the book is transforming your past and kind of reflecting over all the gains that you've had over the years. And for me, that's something that I've picked up as a habit from you too. But, you know, to go from, man, I really admire this guy. This guy's got some brilliant ideas to be in one of his who's and writing his books. And, and now I'm just reflecting on like, I remember before you and I ever met, Jonathan Levy had featured you on the show. I'm like, dude, this guy's awesome. And now, you know, you and I get to hang out and some of the other people that I get to hang out on the show. And so it's just really cool to see what happens when you constantly show up, when you're constantly playing full out. And when you're, you know, it must've been, uh, going 10 X is always never a uh, easy thing. Right. And so like for the fact that you had to sit down and, and pitch basically, Hey Dan, I'm going to, this is the book that I want to take to market. That was a, a huge mental jump for you. And congrats on kind of the conclusion of this, this series with, with Dan, that's epic, man. hundred percent. No, I mean, it was fun. It was, uh, if I was to look back on, on this last 10 X, I guess you could say, um, essentially becoming 10 times better writer and bigger, uh, since I, since I, pitched that idea back in 2018 um it totally did change my whole life and i think that's one of the big ideas of the book is that when you do go 10x uh even though you do it by going narrow you know you focus you focus on something highly specific and you get 10 times deeper and better at that thing yeah. it actually transforms your whole life as a result 100 um 100%. and so it's pretty fun to look at where my life's at versus where it was at five years ago and uh you know ready for the next 10x yeah i love it man so uh a few months ago, you and I were texting, I think you were in London and, and we were having a little bit of a conversation. You're like, dude, I'm geeking out on Michelangelo. And somebody listening is like, wow, it's an interesting transition, but this will, this will go somewhere. I promise. So you're like, I'm geeking out on Michelangelo. And then I got the early release version of the book and I was just so happy to open it up and be like, oh, he really did geek out on Michelangelo. And so I thought this would be another great introduction to the concept of 10 X, because this is definitely one of the central components of the book. And so one of the quotes, that's my favorite that I share on the show all the time is I saw the angel in the marble and I carved until I set him free. <laughs> so you you could see what I what I saw that was like the premise of the book. I'm like, holy shit, this would be great to expand on. So I would love for you to maybe share a little bit about what you learned about Michelangelo and why you decided to kind of open the book with that story as a representation for 10x. So the so when I was we spent six weeks in Europe in you know the end of you know summer of 2022. So you and I are talking in I guess April of 2023. But yeah, so so like eight months ago we were in Europe and obviously go go to rome go through the sistine chapel see all that go to saint peter's see the pieta just sitting there staring at it and seeing more and more michelangelo stuff and i'm just like okay i gotta learn more about this guy and so while i was there uh i just started watching documentaries i was just watching documentary after documentary after documentary just learning more and more and more about michelangelo and then we were up in pisa which is up in tuscany and i didn't we didn't actually have on the schedule to go over to Florence, which is where the David was. And I just said, screw this, I'm going. And I just went by myself. That's probably the day I was texting you, honestly, is I just went by myself, 
the family was already had plans, just a chill day. And so I just took the train like three hours, two or three hours, went there by myself, booked a tour and just went and saw the David and stared at it for like four hours. And um, then flew, you know, went home and I, I was already thinking about this book, 10X. I, I hadn't actively started writing it, but I'd been thinking about 10X for like six months. And that's usually how I write books is I, I think, think, think. And then when it comes time to write, I just go deep. And so the writing of the book actually took only like four months, but it took six months to actually get my thinking right. Um, but yeah, I mean, he just became kind of, in my opinion, the epitome of 10X. And so uh, how I looked at his story was just what were his kind of, what were his chapters? Like I look at 10X more as qualitative jumps, meaning like you jump from levels of quality, levels of like, you're a new person, you know? Um, and so I just kind of looked at his story and it was like, holy cow, he went from this person who was like a, an amateur, an amateur sculptor to someone who eventually started sculpting big projects and uh, obviously I tell the story about like, you know, when he was taking on his first major project, he didn't have the skill. And so he started ultimately like sneaking into the morgue in a in in um, basically a hospital or a church hospital. And he just snuck in and he started dissecting dozens and dozens of bodies because that was kind of the master he wanted to develop. And he was such a beautiful artist. And so he would just I mean, honestly, he learned the human body and then he learned how to sculpt it. And so it's just kind of fun to watch his progression. Like he, he does this major project and like, there's an insane level of mastery and that opens up new and bigger projects. And he just goes freaking deep. And, uh, and then, you know, ultimately that led him to doing the David and then that opened up, you know, and that, 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 that was huge. Um, like it took him years to do that. And I guess why I really like him is cause like he was obviously someone who went very deep, like, mm -hmm. He he would he he was very creative and he went very deep, so deep that it transformed him inside and out to do the projects he did. And then all of a sudden it opens up new opportunities. And so I just thought he, you know, and then obviously now he gets to go and work for the Pope, does the Sistine Chapel, boom, blows that up. Now he's doing St. Peter's like he's just one of those person who just never stopped going, going deeper and getting better. And that's why he was the master. And so I just mm -hmm. think that uh, I, it's an invitation, I think, for everyone, because I think this is kind of what hits me, Brandon, is, is that like most people don't think that they could become a Michelangelo. Like most people would never even attempt to become that good at something. Most people mm -hmm. want to go big, but they don't want to become great. And I, I really think at the end of the day, it's really about mastery. And um, a lot of people, I think, would rather be big than to be good. And, and for me, this book's actually about becoming 10 times better. And if you get 10 times better, then 10 times bigger can take care of itself. Um, yeah. So it's really about quality over quantity and stripping away everything, you know? to your point and um 100 yeah I, I think that that's that's the real challenge for people is can you really become 10 times better at what you do and, and that's really the invitation of the book yeah well let's keep zooming in here because i one of the things that i love so much about the book is that it, it flies in the face of lots of the thinking of what 10x is and hilariously, I was like in prepping for this, I <laughs> I have a copy of uh, Grant Cardone. So I'll be the one that'll throw a little bit of shade, you know, the, the, the 10X rule. I've never read it. I just have it laying around. And so I, I looked it up and this was, this is reading from Grant Cardone's 10X book. It says, as I look back over my life, I see that the one thing that was most con consistent 
with any success I've achieved was that I put forth 10x the amount of activity that others did for every sales presentation, phone call, or appointment others made. I was making 10 of each. When I started buying real estate, I was looking at 10 times more properties than I could buy. This is the focus of the 10x rule. You must set targets that are 10 times that you of what you think you want and then do 10 times what you think you it will take to accomplish these targets. The 10x rule is about pure domin domination mentality. <laughs> so there is a huge difference in Grant Cardone 10x versus Benjamin Hardy and Dan Sullivan 10x. And you were just talking about, you know, the David, he was going qualitatively deeper, like each transformation that he made, he wasn't, it was just a fundamental jump. Um, so I was just kind of curious if you can maybe share some of the fundamental differences that you've seen and maybe explain a little bit about the the, the positioning that's different than most of the other 10x content out there. <laughs> 100%. So here's one of the major differences, and it's why I love Dan's thinking, is, is that if you look at, if you actually study how Dan thinks, he creates binaries. So rather than just saying 10x is a good idea, let's go all in on it. Dan asks the deeper question, which is what is the opposite of 10x? Like, let's actually dig into that and let's create distinction. Mm -hmm. And you wouldn't actually think that 2x is the opposite of 10x. Um, originally, you I don't know what you would think of, um, which is why Dan's thinking is so deep. Um, and so I think an initial component that takes this idea one or 50 levels deeper than than kind of just like, let's just think 10 times bigger and work 10 times harder um, is like, what is the opposite of 10x? So like, as an example, me and Dan wrote two books before that, Who Not How, right? And so it's like, what's the opposite of doing everything by yourself? You know, thinking in terms of how, well, what if you just got who's to do it for you? And what if what if you went all in on that idea, right? We had gap and gain. And so like, this is, this is why I, I just love working with people who kind of think with models and think in different ways. And so the original, I guess the original benefit of how we think things through is we actually said, well, what is the opposite of 10X? And we explained that 2X is. And so that then just kind of brings up some some really important premises. Well, what does 2X, what 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 is 2X thinking? What What is the actual basis of it? And 2X is basically just using the past to dictate what you do in the present. It's very linear, right? It's like, if I've sold a million books, then 2X would be, let's go for 2 million. If I'm going for 2 million and I've already done 1 million, then I probably don't need to change that much, right? I can pretty much just continue doing what I'm doing. And so it's a very past oriented and a very linear approach to life. It is also focused on more. Whereas you then start to kind of shine a strobe light on 10X. Well, if 10X is the opposite of this, then what is 10X? It's certainly not past-based. It's going to be future-based. Um, and so it's it's exponential. And you know, this is where in, uh, you and I were talking about Dr. Alan Bernard's work, but it's like, if you really study decision-making, when you make your goals, you know, insanely bigger, it actually weeds out almost everything. Like to actually go for a seemingly impossible goal, you can't do more. You actually have to do less because most mm -hmm. things won't get you there. You know, thinking in terms of pathways thinking, which is a big aspect of psychology, very few pathways will get you to a 10X goal. And so it forces out the 80%, you know, using the 80-20 principle, almost nothing will get you there. So the only way to go 10x is actually to do less, not more. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, here's how one person told me. So so I want to give the basic model for your listeners. And then I'm going to yeah. explain how some people have actually interpreted Grant Cardone's book. And I actually didn't do this for the book because I didn't want to cast any shade. But um, <laughs> I did it. I started. Yeah, the, I, no, I and it's OK. <laughs> it's a, yeah, I, I'm cool with that. I'm cool. But basically, the main model that Dan and I presented for 
the book was kind of a 10x versus 2x model. And it was based on the 80-20 principle. And basically the idea, just as I described, is, is if you're going to go for 2x, you can keep the 80% of your life. You don't have to change that much. I, If I want to go for, from 1 million books to 2 million books, I could I could pretty much do 80% of what I got here, maybe a 20% tweak. So you can only you only have to change 20% of what you're doing. Maybe I'll work 20% harder, right? Or maybe maybe I'll write a, write different types of books, but I don't really fundamentally have to change what I'm doing. So 10x being the opposite, 10x being such a high goal and from a seemingly impossible imagined future, 10x is the filter, only the best 20% can stay. And so this is where it gets pretty radical is is that to go 10x, 80% of your existing life, clients, business model is going to go. And so you've got it, it forces you into the 20% and forces you to go deep. And so, and this kind of goes into the idea of attention that right now your attention's on too many things. And this is true of all of us. And if you want to go 10X, you have to free your attention and go really deep on a few things that you're going to get 10 times better at. I used Steve Jobs as the ultimate, you know, as a great example where Steve Jobs revolutionized music. He, he essentially uh, eliminated the 80% of, of music, you know, rather than having to go to the store and buy CDs and having to buy a full CD when you only want one song and then carry around a big bag of CDs, which is what music was before the iPod. He stripped all that away. But in order to strip all that away, where it's like, no, you don't have to go to the store anymore. Now you can just buy one song and you can have a thousand songs in your pocket and they're all songs you love. No more big bag, no more carrying around CDs where most of the songs are trash. And But in order to, to create that qualitative change, going from CDs to iPods, which is a fundamental transformation, he had to go really deep and like think from first principles and rip it all apart. And then, you know, ultimately. So the only reason I say all that is, is like how I've heard people describe Grant Cardone's thinking is rather than stripping away the 80%, which is taking away everything that's not the David and going all in on less, but better. Pretty much Grant Cardone invites people to 10 X the 80% where he literally <laughs> says like, take the, he literally says, take the 80% and do it 10 times more. Like rather than taking it away, he says 10 X the thing that you don't want to do. Like literally. <laughs> So rather than deleting the 80%, Grant Cardone says to 10x the 80%. And that's, I think, yeah. the opposite of, that's why they're opposites. Yeah, no, I I don't know. I'm I'm a huge not fan of what I would classify as quote unquote struggle porn. <laughs> There's like so many people are just like hustle, you know, you got to just do more of the the, the same shit it's, that's It's very not brute force. It's very like yeah. monkey thinking, you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Oh man, there's, there's so much gold in what you just said, but I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to choose to zoom in on, on one particular component of it that I think is just super, super valuable. When you, when you started off on this and kind of introducing the concept, you were talking about, um, I don't remember if you use this exact terminology, but I know you use it inside of the book about reverse engineering from a future version of yourself mm -hmm. and then editing your past. And this is kind of like one of the coolest things that I thought came up in this book is that you talk about the past and the future are drafts, right? Like you, and you can oh. use the future version of you to pull backwards. And so, uh, one of my core values that I've worked a lot about, uh, on, on refining this over the past, uh, year or so, but one of them I call conscious storytelling. And this was just like super relevant for me. Cause I truly believe, and you share this value as well Is like your, your stories are the medium of your reality. If you upgrade your stories, you upgrade your reality and being in a position to choose the empowering story, no matter what happens, just gives you so much more psychological psychological flexibility as you would you would talk about. But one of the things that I think is super, super cool is that you talk about the concept of leveraging your future self to re-edit 
the past. And most people kind of view the past as this fixed thing that happened to them. And so you kind of reintroduce this concept and it just kind of transforms everything. So I would love for you to maybe share about some of the, the, the ways that you have leveraged this concept of transforming your past from the lens of your future. So it's really, really interesting. So like, you know, if, if someone could see me basically like people, people think of like the past, like if it was something going from like the left to the right, you've got the past going into the present, going into the future. And so they think of time heading forward, but a more profound psychological approach is actually literally time going backwards. And so like, obviously you, you could think about that in terms of you think about the future and then you, you reverse engineer it. Right. And you use the future and go backwards and then use that to dictate what you do in the present. And like, so like that's the future coming back to the present and, and letting the future dictate what you do in the present. But the same is true also from the present to the past, rather than letting, rather than looking at um, the past being a domino that's like knocking over the present. And like, basically the present is basically just like whatever, whatever the past led it to be from a psychological standpoint, it's a lot better to think in the opposite direction. And one of my favorite quotes comes from um, Brent's life. Brent's life was one of my, from my professors, but he's, he's what's called, he's what's considered a theoretical psychologist. And he's one of the smartest people I've ever heard, but he, he wrote a book called time and psychological explanation. And basically the whole book was about the psychology of time and about how obviously the past present and future are all actually simultaneously existing for people. So like mm-hmm. anyone who's listening, like, your whole experience in the present is based on your your views of your own past and also your your views of your own future. And I think you you hit it dead on, which is that um, the story you have for your past and the story you have for your future is essentially your identity, or at least a core yeah. aspect of your identity. And we all operate through the lens of our identity. Everything we do, how we live, how we operate is through the lens of our identity. And so when you change the story of your past and your future, you've effectively changed your model of the world and how you operate. So your behavior is going to be different. And so to make this super simple, um, basically to Brent's life, Brent's life said it's more accurate to say that the present causes the meaning of the past than to say that the past is causing the meaning of the present. And what that basically means is, is that here in the present moment, you can actually review the past. The past is just as much, like you said, a draft. It's very much as imagined as the future, but it's also just as important to continuously reimagine the past, get creative about the past and get useful about the past. And so like how I look at positive psychology is, is a positive psychology means like you're having a positive present experience, but that's based on having a very positive or, or happy past and essentially a very big and you know i say good past big future um and so what's cool about this is is that in the present moment and actually i just had a really important experience with my kids in the present moment if i've evolved as a person if i've learned something if i've grown if i've transformed myself in the present then my job is to look at the past and transform my past based on my new understanding Mm -hmm. so if i And so I've got to go back and I've got to weed out certain traumas. I've got to, you know, and basically just do it from the lens of my now higher understanding. This is basically meaning making. I can go back and I can reshape the meaning of it rather than, you know, still being upset because my parents got divorced when I was 11. I can look at it from my current perspective and I can, I can reassess it based on my current knowledge. So like, as an example, like I, you know, we've talked about it, but my, we adopted three kids from the foster system. Um, and there's this meme basically that says like there's a meme of of a woman who's an adult an adult it says adult self and 5 year old self and she says basically i'm sorry that the people you loved made it made you feel like you were hard to love 
Mm. So, so I'm going to say that again, the adult self is talking to the five-year-old self and saying, I'm sorry that the people you loved made you think you were hard to love. Mm. Um, main point here is, is that people often wait and like, they have to wait until they're in their thirties, forties, and fifties to eventually heal their inner child. Mm. Meaning they finally go back to the points in their life when they were deeply hurt. And now from a higher mature angle, they can finally let that person go free, which is you can finally reframe some meaning that you held on to for 30 or 40 years. And I was showing that to my kids and just, I showed them the meme. And I said, I know that sometime in the last seven or eight years, because that's how long we've had him, I've made you feel like you're hard to love because being a parent's freaking hard. And I guarantee there's been times when I've been rude and been angry. And I just want to say, let's work this out now so that you don't have to or work even, it out on. Or even they interpreted it in a way yeah. that like wasn't yeah. intentional at all. They put their own story on whatever the heck happened. Right. So, yeah. It, yeah. So not to go too, too far with your with your question, but the whole point here is. It's actually the present that causes the meaning of the past. It's not the past that's driving the present. And and as you mature as a human being, you get better and better at reinterpreting your past based on new understanding. And your past becomes a very powerful tool for learning, for growth, for gains. Um, and I think that another key element of this is just that you always recognize that you're different from your past self. I know you as someone who's a massive learner and therefore anyone who listens to this podcast is a massive learner. You're not the same person you were five years ago or five days ago. And you recognize that difference and you appreciate that difference. But then going to your first question, which is how do you let the future, you let some massive future filter what you do in the present, but also how you interpret the past. Um, yeah. One of the key aspects of 10X or of having a future self in general is you have some goal and you use that goal to dictate what you do in the present, but also you use that goal to actually filter how you see your past. And so I always look at my past as, what are the evidences of my past that I'm becoming my 10x future self? So I use my goal to 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 create the that. lens by which I'm looking at my past so that I'm finding more and more evidences of my future self. That's epic. That's epic. I I realized recently that I, I discovered a new version of my unique ability, which is a you know a concept that's really prevalent in this book that we haven't quite talked about yet. But I, I realized that one of the things that I can do is when I uh come across a powerful concept, I can translate that into like a system or a structure for me to leverage ongoing. I don't know. I'm so just really good. Are at you going to teach us, teach us, teach us how you use no, this well, one? Well, well, yeah, no, hundred percent. It's funny. Cause like I, so I have, <laughs> I have this spreadsheet and I'll share it with you later, Benner. I can walk you through it or record a video for your team if it's valuable for you and your community or whatever. But it's funny. Cause I was looking at it and I forgot that I redesigned I have this spreadsheet I call the the spreadsheet of life. <laughs> and I, I make a new one every year because like it's kind of like the one pinned thing that I have up on my Chrome tab all the time. But the the primary tab I have is actually what I call the gain dashboard. I forgot I renamed it because of the gain versus the gap. But it's like I'm constantly tracking on an hourly basis what the the wins were that happened or what I want to get done. So I can share with you the, the things. But the, the, the most recent translation that I took from 10x is easier than 2x. And I have it as another tab on my, my spreadsheet. I have a new one called 10x jumps. Uh, and it's really interesting because I have like this ongoing spreadsheet that I'm building. And since this book is new and I'm kind of still walking through this, it's like I have the if you can kind of imagine as you're as you're listening right now, just the columns so like on the left is the dates or the range in which this 10x dump jump occurred. And then right after that is when I updated this story about this most recently. So like for today, you know, I, I was going through one of the 10x jumps and it happened on March 27th. So like it, kind of an, uh, uh, 
a reminder of the last time I revisited and upgraded the the translation of when this story was. And then we didn't get to this yet, but then you can kind of explain this. It's like with, with each jump, you have a new 20% that you need to focus in on and let go of the old 80%. But the, the kind of trippy part that was super valuable for me is that a previous 20% in the next iteration becomes an 80%. And like, that might be kind of complicated if you haven't like listened or read the book yet, which by the way, make sure you're picking up the book. Uh, this is coming out right when we, when it's live. So you're, you're, you're missing out if you're not grabbing it. But anyways, we'll, we'll cover this whole thing. You can kind of unpack some of it, Ben, but like one of the things that I realized just to give some people an example, and then you can jump off of Yeah. This, I want to hear it, your example. It, <laughs> I'm stoked so, to hear this, honestly. So Yeah, sure. So when you and I met, um, we met when I, when I went to Genius Network working for Jonathan Levy's company, Company, the first Genius Network meeting I ever attended, I sat down and you were sitting on my right, and Kevin Thompson was sitting on my left. I'm like, this is this is freaking epic. So for me, that was a that was a massive 10x jump going from college campus to Genius Network at 22 that and learning from jump. the people in Genius. But one of the things I realized is that uh, one of my 20 percents to do that jump that got me into Genius Network and running the the marketing for an online education company that was you know teaching hundreds of thousands of students was I had to be a really good sidekick. Right. That was a 20% for me is like being the jack of all trades, Swiss yeah. army knife or superhuman Academy. And I was and really proud were. of that. And, <laughs> and I, you were I, freaking yeah, good I, at it. <laughs> I appreciate that. And it was, it was great. But then I realized that like, as I made the jump off on my own, being the Robin to a Batman didn't serve me anymore. Even at one, at one point, that was like the, the best 10 X jump that I could have made that took me super, super far. And so um, I'm not going to share the details. I had a, it's, and now I'm using all your language, Ben, the peaks and valleys. I have to read that book. Uh, cause apparently it's a huge recommend, but I had, I had a Valley recently because I was hanging on to that idea that I needed to be a Robin to somebody else's Batman. And right. And like, and it got me into kind of a hairy That's situation a hidden commitment of your past. It exactly. Right. So, but, but it was, but it was huge for me to go through and realize like, Oh my God, like this, this served me, but seeing it in this format made me just say, okay, I have to give myself permission and appreciate what this did for me but let that go as I move forward into the future. And so anyways, long way of saying, I, I'm happy to, I'm going to just, I'll say it right now. I'll link my tool up in the show notes for anybody that wants to check this out. But I think it's a super powerful exercise. And one of the coolest, easy wins that I think you can get if you don't do anything else from here is just do what Ben talks about and just go back through your past. Maybe you don't use my spreadsheet. Maybe it's a pen and paper, but very simply just identify those 10x jumps because you have 10x in the past. And I think that's one of the biggest things that you teach, Ben. It's like, if you're listening to this, like, oh, 10x, that seems kind of crazy. But you have so many instances of your life that you may not have given yourself permission or the definition that it was a 10x jump. And then going through this exercise of identifying what the 80% and what the 20% was in each respective jump that you made uh, just makes it super powerful. And then on top of that, being able to kind of re-edit that from a future version of you. So anyways, now I've been kind of blabbing, but no, I'll, I'll turn no, it back you, to you. No, you, you, be <laughs> you were beautiful. I wanted this to be the conversation because I, I value your insights so much, Brandon. I want you to share. It's actually more interesting to me to hear how you interpret the book. Honestly, <laughs> I mean, I know you want to hear my perspective because I wrote the dang thing, but I actually am more intrigued by your interpretation of it and what you got out of it. And I think that's honestly at least as relevant, probably even more relevant to your listeners. Um, So there's there's two things you said that I think are really, really fascinating. One is, is to actually rewrite the story again and again and again. So like as an example, um, I, I brought up my my parents' divorce when I was 11. So I, I could have done a lot of work on that five years ago, right? And kind of reframed it and gotten all sorts of new meaning out of it, right? But now me, 
you know, I now have kids, right, who are older than 11 years old now. And so I could actually go mm-hmm. back to that same story and re, 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 recreate it and, re, you know, and, and create new meaning from it, new lessons, new learning, uh, new depth. And so I think that that in and of itself is actually a really cool idea is, is that back to the idea that it's the present that causes the meaning of the past. And that whenever you grow and evolve, you actually have to bring your whole past up with you. So it's mm-hmm. like if I go through a deep phase of learning, it's powerful for me to go back through my past and and make sure that my past doesn't have any like low, low energy there anymore. Like as an example, um, you know, this is something that just literally happened today. Like so like when I was writing this book. It hit me pretty hard, actually, that it was probably my last book with Dan and Babs. Um, and rather than being grateful and being in the game, I actually went in the gap and I got frustrated, you know, and I, I pointed that mm. frustration outward rather than actually just looking at myself inward and just taking responsibility. And so, frankly, I actually just kind of sent some bad emails. I got mad. Um, and so, like, as I've grown a lot and it was not like I, I was proud of that, but I was just that was just where I was at. But yeah. now, six or eight months later. I can now I've grown and evolved a lot in the last six or eight months. I can now go and clean up that experience. First off, I can clean it up by myself by actually just taking responsibility for it and learning from it and stuff like that. And like recognizing where I was operating at a lower level. But I also go back and have an amazing conversation with Dan and Babs and apologize. Right. Mm-hmm. And and just openly acknowledge where I was operating from a lower plane of understanding. Not that I'm looking to change anything, but just like. And so I'm now changing the past and I'm, and I'm, and I'm learning from it. I'm growing. And so I'm taking my new elevated understanding and I'm taking my past, which may not have been at that level. And I'm now bringing it up with me. And so that's actually, that's actually what happens when you transform a trauma is, is that you yeah. go through growth and then you go back and you heal your past as a result. So I think that that's really cool. But, you know, going back to the 10 X versus two X framework, which is essentially every time you've gone through a quote, what we're calling a 10 X jump. And why what Brandon was saying was true is, is that everyone's done it is, is because from my standpoint, 10X is more of a qualitative transformation. It's kind of like Steve Jobs going from CDs to iPod. Well, as people, we've all gone through our own version of that multiple times. When you go from crawling to walking, right? That's a transformation. You've just went from (laughs) literally crawling to now you can walk. And because now you can walk, you now are operating fundamentally different from your old crawling self. And so like, what then is next? Well, maybe you learn language, right? Like that's a 10x jump. Now you can like think in terms of frameworks and language and stuff like that. And so every one of those is essentially what we're calling a qualitative transformation that opens up all these new potentials. And so that's a 10x, you know, um, and 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 it becomes more fun when you start doing it deliberately. So like in the book, I tell my own story of like, you know, even just getting into a PhD program was a massive 10x jump for me. And it required me to go really deep, learn how to like write and research and stuff like that. And then once I get in there, it's like, holy cow, now I'm in this whole new universe of possibilities that wouldn't have been possible to me. You know, and then my my next one would be like, well, I envisioned myself as a professional author getting six figure book deals, seemingly impossible jump from where I was. And that, for, you know, led me to a 20% of blogging like a master, which is ultimately what led me to meeting you. But um, so it's really fun, you know, using the 80-20 model that if you look back at all of whatever jumps you've had, the the stages, I guess you could call it, of your own learning and growth that got you here, that you could look at them within kind of a framework of the 80-20 where it's like, well, what was the 20% of that jump that you really focused on and, and went really deep on? And what did you have to let go of to get from one stage to the next? Yeah. Um, I, I think yeah. too, it's like you can, I, I and you, you can 
jump in here, Ben, but like my interpretation of this too, it's like you decide what a, what a 10x is, right? Like there's no one that's ever going to tell totally. you that it was or wasn't a 10x or whatever. Oh, and like, yeah. this is this is your game. This is the empowering story that you're telling yourself. There's nobody else that could tell you, oh no, that wasn't a 10x jump. Like <laughs> you're, you're kidding yourself, right? Like it's it's up to you to write this from the frame of it being an empowering standpoint and then constantly reiterate it. So I, I think that might be almost like a misconception that I feel like people might have with this concept is that like, Oh, was it really a 10 X jump? Like, I don't know. Like there's people that did it better. No, it's like, it was your 10 X jump. It brought you to where you needed to go. And if you take that empowering lens, then it, it then make it a 10 X jump. So I think that that's super cool. Yeah. And 10 X can be qualitative. It can be quantitative. Like you can, you know, but I, I look at it as a, it was a, it was, you know, it was a fundamental leap. I know that you're a big yeah. fan of gay Hendricks and like, I look at 10 X the same way he looks at a big leap. You know, this yep. is a big leap. It, it's massive. You're now in a different universe because because this is because this happened. Um, whether it was quantitatively 10x or not, it's actually just like incomparable. That's why it's qualitative. Yeah. You're now in a different sphere. Like me going from PhD student to now professional author, um, or like you know even just hiring a who's and, and it doesn't always have to be bigger. This is one of the mm -hmm. things that people don't realize. You could go actually from where you're at right now and have 10 times less stress, right? Mm -hmm. Or you could or you could be consuming 10 times higher quality information. Um, you could also be consuming 10 times less information, right? And so mm -hmm. it doesn't always have to be bigger. Often it's actually just, is this better? Sure. Um, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I love that. Okay, so I mean, uh, just keep in mind, everybody listening, we're, we're, we're like basically past the introduction and into chapter like one of the book. There's so, <laughs> there's so much in here, but, but so we've kind of talked about this concept of like transforming the past. Uh, this comes like later in the book, but another concept that you bring up is needing versus wanting and being a good wanter. And I think this kind of is the, the, the future pulling component of this conversation that we've been talking about. So I would love for you to maybe share that concept of, of, of needing versus wanting and what it means to be a good wanter, quote unquote. Yeah, for sure. And I'd love what you, what you got out of this as well. Um, so it's super important to realize that like, this is part of quote unquote, stripping away everything that's not the David is, is that if there's anything that you think you need or that you think other people think you need or quote unquote should be doing, then you're essentially a slave to that thing. And so a lot of people think that they need success. They need that bestseller, that million dollars, that car, that girlfriend. So anytime you're operating out of need, or even that you think what you know what you should be doing, then essentially the external thing is the thing driving you. And that's the opposite of intrinsic motivation. That's also the opposite of doing what you want. You're doing it because you think you need it, which is a very unhealthy attachment. And so one of the things we try to, the whole book, back to the premise of the book is stripping away all of those things that are not just you at your core essence and you at your core essence is freedom and being free from all of those needs and operating solely out of want. And that takes a lot of stripping away, you know, where you're like literally free, but that is freedom. If you're still doing something because you think you need it, then you're not free. It's actually, it's, it's actually determining what you are doing. And so freedom is kind of the, as in large part, the goal of the book, true freedom, which is the freedom to do what you want and to be who you are. And, and so once you, it's just, it's, um, I'm trying to make this simple. Um, one of the things that's really important is, is that 10 X is not a need. It's a want. And so you, you want to start to get to the point where you ask yourself, what is it that I most want? What is it that I most value? What is the most thing that I, I, I feel most called to do regardless of, 
what other people think, or regardless of the potential failures or the consequences, you just start operating from freedom. Uh, I actually, is a slightly different topic, but like part of my research when I was doing my master's on uh, entrepreneurial courage was the concept of point of no return. Mm -hmm. Um, Point of no return essentially being when you get to the full place of commitment and, and you're no longer avoiding things out of fear. Usually we don't cross that point of no return on whatever it is we want, which is essentially just the moment of decision where you're removing alternative options. But we don't want, and this goes straight to 10X because we we don't let go of the 80% because we're afraid of the consequences of letting that go. The 80% is our security blanket. We also are afraid of the consequences of going all in on what we want because what if we fail or what if what if it doesn't work or what if people think we're a loser? So we're, we're, we're inflating all of these potential scenarios. The only reason I bring this up is that from my experience, and I've experienced this many times, once you cross that point of no return, which is essentially the moment when you've fully committed to what you want, you actually feel free. Um, because now you're no longer overly worried about what other people think about you. You're no longer worried if it's going to fail or succeed. You actually are now in a place of freedom where it's like, I'm just going to do what I want. And it's okay if it doesn't work mm-hmm. out. Like it's okay if people don't like it or don't care. And so, um, yeah, I kind of probably went too far, but the main point here is, is just that we want to help you strip away from all sense of need. And I would even say in relationships, a relationship is far more healthy when both people are there out of want versus mm-hmm. one person thinking they need to be there or should be there. That's unhealthy at, at various levels. Yeah. I think the biggest thing for me from this, it's like so much of the imposter syndrome or things that people are worrying about. And like, honestly, using your gap versus the gain language, it's like most of being in the gap is when you're obviously comparing yourself to others or that, that future ideal, which is the whole concept of that book. But like, there's just no, I think the biggest thing from this want versus need concept for me is just like, there's no justification necessary ever, like at all. Like, it's just like, I want what I want because I want it. Right. And, and um, I think taking that empowering stance uh, is, is really freaking powerful. And so um, I'm curious, Ben, so this is, the, I wanted to make sure I asked you this because uh, somebody that came on a few weeks ago that I, I think, you know, Cameron Harold, he wrote this book, uh, Vivid Vision. And, you know, he talks a lot about this, this vivid vision that's, that's three years out. And, and one thing that I've always had a little bit of issue with the vivid vision concept is straight up in the book. And I looked at this just to make sure that I was, I was right. He talks about, um, this is from the book. The vivid vision is like the 10 commandments in that it is set in stone, <laughs> um, which seems kind of like the opposite of what we've been talking about. And just, uh, sorry, just to make sure that I'm, I'm, I'm feeling in context for, for people listening, vivid vision is this concept that Cameron Hale wrote about, like creating this, this really detailed, vivid picture of your life um, or your business or whatever it is and leveraging that as a, a effective roadmap essentially. Um, and so obviously another, another really prominent concept that, that has helped lots of people is that vivid vision concept. And you're coming at it from the perspective of more like your, your future is also an ongoing draft. So I was just kind of curious how you feel about that position that Cameron took on the vivid vision. Cause that's, that's the one point of frustration that I've had with vivid vision. It's like, well, it's kind of changed. And then I feel kind of bad for wanting to adjust X, Y, Z. So I'm kind of curious how you feel about that concept. And for anybody else that may be listening that ever set a goal and then are kind of hard on yourself for making that adjustment and like almost feeling like you're not completing it. Um, how do you think about that? So I'm going to give you two opposite sides. So there's a concept in philosophy called teleology. Teleology is the idea that all actions are driven by a goal. So as an example, like if I, all, all, all action is driven by an end, in other words. And so like, if I got, if I went, if I got up to go to the kitchen 
the end is, is that maybe I want to like get a drink. And so me wanting to get a drink, which is the end is going to drive my behavior. And so that from that idea, all behavior is actually driven by goals. You know, like eventually we're going to end this conversation and I'm going to go home. And so the goal is going to drive my behavior and I'm going to, I'm going to walk home or whatever. Um, so that's one angle, which is, is that all behavior is driven by an end. The opposite is actually what would be considered anti-fragility, which is, is that basically with new information, you actually change the goal. And mm -hmm. so like Nassim Taleb is actually very against um, teleology. Like if you actually read anti-fragile, he's actually very against teleology for the reason you're describing, which is basically when people set a goal, you know, say I set, say I set a goal right now and I get really committed to it. But then in a year from now, I've got wildly new and better information than, <laughs> than the current self, right? Mm -hmm. Does my future self stay committed to my, to his, to the old goal, even though he now has better information, he's higher up the mountain and can maybe look laterally or in some different direction and set a better goal. And, and so I, I, I'm somewhere in the middle of these two. Like, I think it's important mm -hmm. to make commitments, but I also think it's important to be anti-fragile where it's like, you know, maybe the goal served its purpose and it got me this far and I can be in the gain and I don't need to beat myself up for only being 60% because now I'm actually going to go in a totally different direction. Um, mm. And so I think it's important to have a vision. Certainly we, we want to have a vision of your future self. And, and sometimes it's important to follow through and finish things. Like, I'm really glad I followed through and I finished my PhD, even when very close, I almost backed out. Like I was already writing books. I was already a massive author. There was already a lot of people telling me, dude, just quit. But like, I'm glad I finished that one because I still saw massive, saw massive relevance using the mm -hmm. future as the filter. Like I was like, yeah, I could leave, but like, I still think that this thing's going to massively pay off for my future self. And so I was still making decisions in the present rather than being caught in the past. And mm -hmm. so I think it's really important to just be really honest about what's best from your current standpoint. What's the future you most want and let the future that you most want dictate what you do right now. And because mm -hmm. that future is a draft, it might require you to make a pivot from what you were doing because now you're having a better, different future. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know if I, so, so yes, no, it, I think it's massively important to have a vision, but don't get stuck on that view of the vision, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's super powerful. I think that the biggest thing that I'm personally working on is like also being kinder to yourself. Cause like, I'm, I'm a person that when I want to commit to something, I'm going to freaking commit to it. Right. And so, but like, but, but, but when new information comes through that makes that, you know, the old vision not, irrelevant maybe, or, yeah. tweet, or just change. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just like kind of, obviously it goes back to core value conscious storytelling, right? Like I can rewrite that in, in, in a more positive way. So amazing. Well, it doesn't um, have to be a failure. It can be a yeah. massive gain, you know, like right. how Dan, you know, you know, explained it to me back in the day is some goals aren't made for achieving. Some goals are made mm. for learning, you know, and for progress. Like it got you to this point. You know, for who was I just talking to? Oh, I was just talking to someone about this. Gosh, I forget the exact scenario, but basically they they were talking about some goal that they had, which they had not yet achieved, but every aspect of it had driven all of their growth over like the last four or five years. And like, it's transformed their life, but they're not yet at the goal. But now like they want to go this different direction and like they feel bad for abandoning this goal and they openly acknowledge that like the massive growth that they've had over the last four years has been in pursuing this thing. And it's like, well, now look what that, that we should be grateful for that goal because look mm -hmm. what it did. It brought right. you all this way, but now the goal no longer serves. Like it served its purpose. Now you can go way over here 
because of what you did. And so, yeah, that's how I look at it. I love that. Amazing. Well, uh, man, Ben, just time flies whenever I'm with you. We I want to be respectful going. of your time. We can keep going a little bit more, man. Keep going. <laughs> okay. So I don't, um, okay. So one of the, I got the like 20 more minutes, I... by the way, I got like 20 more minutes. All right. We can go, we can that stick as long me. as you want. Okay. That that's awesome. I appreciate that. Um, an, another concept that I thought was super powerful. This is not, a, not the prettiest, uh, See, <laughs> change, but like basically one of the things that I think it was, it was more so in the challenge, right. Than, than the book, but I think there's a really powerful concept is you took this idea of going 10 X and then essentially 10 Xing the 10 X. So you're, you're actually thinking at a hundred X and, and it, 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 it immediately by going to that level, it, it, it immediately triggers all the impossibility that happens. Like, like there's no freaking way, but like the fact that you had to go up so high, it, almost uncovers those things that were buried in the sand as a result of going, going that high. So I would love for you to maybe share a little bit about that concept of going almost a hundred X and, and talking about how to uncover your, un, uh, your, your limiting beliefs that might be associated with that. Mm. Uh, and then I think Dr. Not to, yeah, we'll, we'll stick with that. Then I have a, a part two to that question. Absolutely. So this comes a lot from the, and hundred X thinking does not come from Robert, Robert Keegan, but this model which which does come from Robert Keegan is in his book Immunity to Change. He is a Harvard psychologist. I don't even think he's. I don't even know if he's alive to be honest with you. But he he was a phenomenal psychologist. Did so many incredible models and stuff like that. He was a Harvard psychologist on in business like business organizational change and stuff like that. Basically, the main main thing is is he created this model that shows you that whenever you want to make a change in your life, you know, for example, you want to get in shape or you like you want to like start that business or write that book or whatever it is. There's a, there's a cognitive change you want to make or a cognitive commitment. There's, a, there's something you want to go do, but the truth is, is that 90% of your behavior is counter to that goal. Like you're still contradicting yourself and we're, all human beings are walking contradictions because we want to do things, but our, all of our behavior is like the opposite. You know, it's like, I want to get that six pack, but can't stop eating the junk food or whatnot. Or I want to get up early, but I go to bed late. Um, if we're honest with ourselves, and I love the quote that all progress starts by telling the truth. When we look at ourselves and we actually analyze our behavior, a huge chunk of our behavior is counter to our goal. And mm. so what Robert Keegan's work does is he says, well, where is that behavior coming from? And that's because that behavior actually makes sense from the context of your past self, right? Your past self being what he calls your hidden commitments that you made commitments in the past about who you are as a person, you know, all of our commitments are our identity base, you know? So it's like, you know, if I, if I, if I just analyze my behavior, then I could say, well, what part of me, you know, believes things that are driving this behavior. You know, if mm -hmm. I, if I'm eating a bunch of junk food, there's some part of me that that's like a part of my past self. I, I really love, I'm a snacker, you know, I have a sweet tooth, right? Like those are hidden commitments, right? That are the opposite of me wanting to get super ripped. And so, and then those hidden commitments, which are aspects of my identity that I formed whenever years past are based on beliefs I have. And so we all have beliefs that are that we formed in the past that shaped commitments we've made which is who we are which is now driving our behavior it takes a lot of deep work to start to unpeel those layers but it's it all starts with just being honest about your behavior and how it's con contradicting your goals and if you can be honest about the behavior you're saying then you can as all, all you do is look at it and say well what part of me <laughs> finds this to be okay or what part of me would be leading to this behavior um the the whole idea of 100x thinking though and now actually using this model is 
I love the quote, and I, I got this from one of my mentors, that it's better to optimize for where you'll be in 10 years from now rather than from where you'll be in 10 days from now. Um, or another way of saying it's, I'm not that worried about where I'll be, where I'm at in 10 days, but I'm really worried about where I'm at in 10 years. So in 10 days, there's not that much. Like uh, people who are worried about where they're at in 10 days are a lot more worried about what other people think. And so they're trying to look good, appear good. Whereas if I don't really care what other people think about me, I'm fine if my life's kind of a mess in 10 days from now. Like it's okay. I'm deep in the mud. I'm deep in the middle. I'm learning a lot of things. It's okay if I don't have it all figured out, but in 10 years from now, things are gonna be really different. And so if you're thinking out 10 years, and this is kind of like future self work, but if you're thinking out 10 years and you really start to think about, well, what is your life going to be like in 10 years? What's going to be really important to your future self 10 years from now? That then kind of goes to my idea of Jim Collins work where Jim Collins, who wrote the book, Good to Great, said, if you have more than three priorities, you have zero. And so if I'm thinking about my future self in 10 years from now, like there's not that much that's essential, like going you know, even to the idea of essentialism, there's only a few things that really matter to me in 10 years from now, my family, my health, uh, and maybe like aspects of what I view as my mission in life. Like there's only a few things that are really essential. And if I use that 10 year out vision and I say, well, what are those things that are really essential in 10 years? And then I use that using the idea of letting the future dictate how you operate in the present. If I, if I think about where do I want to be in 10 years and what really matters in 10 years? And then I use that as the magnifying glass to my current life. Wow at least 80% of my life right now is way outside those three essentials, right? Like mm -hmm. how much of my time am I spending on trash, right? If I'm using the future as the lens of looking at my present behavior and actions. Um, but then another kind of idea with this is, well, if there's only a few things that really matter and I've got 10 years to do it, I know I can go more than 10X in three years in those areas. Like 10X, 10 years is a freaking long time, especially if you're really focused on just a few things that really matter. And again, you're letting the future decide what matters, not the present, um, what matters to my future self. And so for me, I just use books as an example, because I'm pretty sure my future self is still going to be pretty dang interested in books and reading and writing. Could be wrong. Maybe in five years from now, I'll change that goal. But for now, with my best knowledge and wisdom and just thinking about my future self, pretty sure. Um, and so it's like, I know I can do more than a 10x in 10 years. So why don't you just go up 100x? For me, I've sold a million books. So... 10x, 10 million books, 100x, 100 million. Holy crap. That is, and this goes right back to Bernard's thinking, which is make the goal so impossible, right? That like, it forces you to start being really honest with yourself. So it's like, if I actually, and it's okay if the goal seems impossible, 100 million books seems fundamentally ridiculous. I'm just being honest <laughs> with you. Like it's, 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 those are stupid numbers. Mm -hmm. But if you actually think about it and play with it for a minute, Rather than just dismissing it, you actually play with it. And this goes straight back to the work of Daniel Gilbert, where he says, most people, they assume that their present self is the same as their future self, because most people won't actually play with their future self. They won't even think about it. So let's just play with it for a minute. Okay. A hundred million books in 10 years. Um, you know, I don't want to go too into um, Bernard's work, but if no, I was I think, think if you could go to impossible and less, I was going to ask you that as yeah. my part two. So, so just go right there. <laughs> okay, I'll do it. I'll do it. So this goes back to, so I'm now mixing two models. One is Alan Bernard, which is impossible and less. And then one is Keegan's work, which is we just talked about our hidden commitments and our limiting beliefs. Um, so if I was to look at that 100x goal, clearly I don't think it's possible, which means that my beliefs right now would never get me there because right now I don't even think it's a possibility. And so 
one of the things that Alan Bernard does now, Alan Bernard is a really brilliant theorist in decision-making is he says, well, that would be impossible unless what? And, and, and so it's like, well, this leads me to strategic thinking where it's like, well, what would have to be true for me to actually make that possible? And so I then start coming up with, well, this would have to be true. This would have to be true. This would have to be true. Certainly I'd have to write like a blockbuster, right? Um, I'd have to learn how to market it to certain people. It'd have to blow up. It'd have to become a part of culture. Um, like, so this is now leading me to starting to think in terms of strategy and pathways, but also, and this is where I think, this is where I think big goals are really useful is, is that if I actually like right now, current Benjamin Hardy doesn't believe it's possible to sell hundred million books. But if I use that massive goal and say, well, what would Benjamin Hardy have to believe in order to make that true? I can use that goal to change my beliefs. I can say, what would I need to believe for that to be true? First off, I'd have to believe it's possible. What else would I have to believe? I'd have to believe that I could write that kind of book or that I could have that kind of influence. What else would I have to believe? Like, And so you actually use the, the massive future goal to rewrite your beliefs so that you're so that you can start from the beliefs and then go to the identity. I, I mean, I don't know if I just went way too wacko. No, 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 no. I think everybody. But I think that that's a button. useful. I think that's a useful way to reshape your beliefs. Oh, it 100%. also highlights your limiting beliefs. Is make some massive goal and say, make get it, take it out of the realm of possibility. So now it's outside your belief system, and say this goal is clearly pointing out to me my limiting beliefs. And mm -hmm. how can I now reshape my beliefs such that that now is now a possibility? And then you can use Bernard's thing to reshape the strategy so that you can figure out the pathways to getting there. Mm -hmm. oh, this, that, that wasn't all over the place. I would encourage everybody to go back, skip to make sure that it fully sunk in because there was there was so much there. There was a small thing that you use you, in your you language clean it up you take wanna... your synthesizing i'm not going to clean, clean anything up. up man i'm just gonna i'm just gonna zoom in on one thing because i think it's really interesting because this is a concept and it's kind of like a unique pattern that i've observed in some of the people that i've had the chance to interview specifically i came up with two people that i saw it and then like you know three makes a pattern one of them was todd herman i'm, I'm pretty sure you're familiar with his work with uh, uh alter ego effect and then mo gaudat uh, who wrote who wrote uh, uh solve for happy uh but they they both alluded to this concept, which you use in passing of like viewing yourself as like this third party person, right? You said in your language, what would Benjamin Hardy have to believe for X? And it's like when it's this outside version of you. So anyways, I say that to say, I think it's really interesting that as a thought exercise that you're almost like, okay, here's Benjamin Hardy or here's Brandon Fong. Um, and here's the hundred X version of, of that human that is sitting right here. It just allows you to play in so many different ways that you, you wouldn't give yourself permission with if it was like too close to you. So I thought that was just a really cool, uh, pattern that I've started to observe. And I think it makes it a lot more flexible as you expand your thinking. I mean, it, it, this is actually what Robert Keegan's work is all about. Is hmm. So he has his three levels of consciousness. The first one, it's, it's very much similar to Stephen Covey's. You have dependent, independent, and then interdependent interdependent being the highest level. So Keegan's model is you have the socializing self, which is a very need-based perspective. So socializing self is where you don't have essentially an identity. You're just a chameleon. You're just trying to fit in because you're... And so this is like high school kids who will do anything and everything they can to just fit in. And so they're, they actually don't have their own standards. They don't have their own values. They're, they are willingly up to doing just about anything to be accepted. That So that's pure dependence. Up above that, which would be independent, Keegan actually calls the authoring mind, which is where you really start to develop your own model, models, goals, ag agendas. The problem with this level is, is that you can't actually see outside of your own perspective. And so you assume that your view is correct. This is where like someone who's like 
a Democrat thinks that all Republicans are bad and, and you know, and they think it's actually objective, vice mm. versa, opposite, rather than seeing it as an angle. And so the highest level is what he calls the transforming mind, which is where you still do have a worldview, but you can step outside of it and you can analyze it and you can actually mm. point out its flaws. And then you can like you can you become a lot more flexible mentally. He actually calls it um, developing higher levels of mental complexity. And it involves a lot of emotional flexibility because you have to become emotionally flexible to actually change your beliefs um, and to even analyze them. But it, it's a, a lot higher level. And that's why yeah. that's actually why you can actually like step back and say, this is what I believe and what mm -hmm. would I need to believe to go over there? And so, yeah, I think it's it's really powerful when you step out and you actually realize that you're not, you know, using really hard language. You're not the content. You're actually the context and yeah. you can step out and you can change things. And you can say that that's Ben Hardy five years ago. This is Ben Hardy now. What does Ben Hardy in five years from now think? And mm -hmm. you're not attached to any one of them. You get you actually can get outside of yourself and start yeah. kind of. It's almost like you're an avatar. You you can start like <laughs> you can start you can start tweaking things, and you're you're not so stuck on the inside. Yeah. I love that. And I think too, another thing that I can see kind of inside of someone's brain listening right now, it's like, whoa, this is some, this is some deep stuff, right? And it's super, super powerful. And I think another concept that you you introduced in the book that was another thing that I started implementing right away, or I am implementing right now is that to have this kind of conversation with yourself, right? To be actually leveraging this content and journaling on it and processing it. This is where the gold comes to actually make these massive jumps. But if your life isn't designed around optimizing for having time to do that kind of stuff. You're just going to be kind of perpetually stuck in this <laughs> lower level 2X, two X mode. Yeah. yeah exactly. You're busy and, and you're not transforming. Yeah. So uh, this was kind of a slap in my face, but it's like, I was realizing like, holy shit, like, why am I still answering all these inbound emails that I have right now? Like why, like, like, like literally just the, the stupidest thing, but the, the there's, the, but this is the, the biggest slap in the face for me too. It's like, not only the, the time that that I'm spending in that right now, which I'm alleviating because of, because of the book, but also the attention that is associated with those decisions, even hitting your conscious reality, right? Like, um, yeah. So I, I would love for you to maybe share a little bit about at least uh, some action items on how people could begin to maybe leverage some who not how thinking to allow themselves to go deep and kind of be having these these conversations and journaling like we've been talking about. So there's a great quote from Dan. He said that. You know, this is for entrepreneurs, but I say it's for everybody. He says an entrepreneur who's too tightly scheduled doesn't have the space to transform themselves. The main point here is, is that there's two things going on. One is, is that people are too busy, whether it's with their day job, with all their responsibilities, where like literally their their conscious attention. And this this goes back to Alan Bernard, which is you know return on attention. And, and, and that whatever you focus on expands, like our attention span is our most finite resource. And whatever we focus on, we're creating more and more of. The problem is, is that most people, because they're so busy, they're just creating more and more of their current life. They don't, they're not stepping out and imagining a new future and then kind of finding ways to spend more and more time thinking about that and becoming that. Instead, all their attention is locked up and loaded. Like they're, they're busy at work and then kind of you know, to some of Cal Newport's research on deep work and stuff, we do live in a really intensive environment that is constantly seeking our attention. And so, and we get short-term dopamine rewards for giving our attention away. So not only are we busy, but then we're hyper-distracted and we've got all these addictions to just low-level inputs. And so our attention is sapped on trash, essentially. Like we've given away our attention on, on what's keeping us busy or on what's keeping us distracted. 
and we're not actually improving the quality of our attention. And so uh, how I look at it is, is like, you've got to create that space. And, and it's honestly not that hard. Like I guarantee that the average person listening to this wastes, call it three to five hours a day. So it's really not that hard to find the space to actually start thinking about better things, whether that's reading a good book, sitting in your journal and reprocessing your past, or honestly thinking about the future. Um, we actually have a lot of time, but we've given it all away. In other words, we've given our attention all away. And so first step is honestly, and this, this goes back to just remove the 80%. 80% of our inputs are probably low level, right? They're just distractions. They're, they're not, there's not enough juice to squeeze out of those to transform ourselves. And so it's wasted attention. So first step is like, and this isn't to say you can't have hobbies or, you know, like I, I like, I like entertainment too. Um, but it's all honestly just like an honesty check of, are you using your attention to transform yourself in your life? And are you giving yourself enough space to really go deep on certain things, to really learn certain things? Because if you can really give yourself space and time for learning and thinking, and maybe, you know, what if you're just giving yourself space to, to, to think and to learn and to grow, your life will look different in a year. Like this is how people can like make quantum leaps is because they've actually given themselves the space to think, to learn, to process, to grow. And they're weeding out stuff that looks like their past, you know, mm -hmm whether that's people, information, TV shows. So, um, yeah, I think that like the best book I, I can recommend on this topic, and it's not even the best book in the world, but it's just my best, my, the best framework for the idea is catching the big fish. Did you ever read that one, by the way? No, I didn't. That's on my list now as a result. Yeah, of I, I think it's really it until... good. I mean, the whole book just kind of the subtitle is meditation, consciousness, and creativity. And it's really about how your consciousness is like the ocean. And if you're up at the surface, meaning you're constantly switching tasks or you're just, you know, you're, you're not really thinking that thing, you're not going that deep, then use all you can see is small fish. Small fish are just everyday opportunities. I call that the 80%. The only way to go deep is to get rid of those things and to go deep. And that's where you start to yeah. see the big fish. The big fish, that could be like life-changing opportunities or... Mm -hmm shifts in who you are but in order to go that deep you've got to you've got to give yourself the space and time what does that look like it might look like you going on a walk for two or three hours and not needing to fill that space with anything i still listen to inputs i could listen to your podcast but as long as i'm giving myself time to think and I'm, so i just think that we need to if you want to make a 10x jump you got to have 10 times better and deeper attention, which means that your attention has to be on less higher quality and less quantity where you can actually go deep on things. And I, I can attest writing this book took a depth of attention um, where I had to like really think things through just like um, just like Steve Jobs did when he figured out first principles. Anyone who is doing any important, innovative, thoughtful work, you got you to gotta go deep on stuff. You can't just be shallow, which means you've got to like let go of a lot of the things that are dragging your attention and really like focus and like really like think about stuff. Yeah. Well, I just want to say how grateful I am, Ben, for your attention now as you've 10x over and over again, like your your attention is more and more scarce. So I'm grateful for not only the, the time today, but going going beyond some of the time that we had today. But I think that just to bring this home for some people. I always love like pushing and, and, and challenging when I can. I just think that just if you don't do anything else, what if you just viewed it as an experiment? Like what if you literally went on Upwork and you just found one thing? Or like, what if you just went on a walk, right? Like oh, what's yeah. the smallest, smallest domino you could do that will turn into the, the big domino that knocks everything else down? Like you could literally just 
look at your calendar, find a project that you probably shouldn't have been doing. And you could find someone on Upwork within a few hours that would like maybe take care of that for you and then just see. So like, that's how I'm treating it. But um, I'm, I'm really oh, yeah, excited. I went, to... I went, I went off the rails and I didn't even answer who not how question. Oh, no, 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 that, no, that wasn't, no, that was, that was my, my question was essentially how you leverage, um, uh, who's. you've been able to kind of leverage who's to get into flow, but I think that's wh wh where you went was really, really powerful. So, um, I don't want to take, uh, more of your time, Ben, because I know you got to get going here and get back to your, your family and all that other good stuff. But, um, I guess I'll just start wrapping things up and then Ben, you can maybe share any final stuff that you want to share, but, but let me just start by saying the time this is out 10 X is easier than two X is available go check it out. I'm, I'm seriously, I'm putting this as like a top 10 book for me. I'm going to be revisiting it over and over again. Not only have I bought 50 copies, <laughs> I, have, for doing I, have, that. I have, I have, I have 50 copies. I'm going to have the audio book. I'm probably going to have the Kindle version of it. Please like, give those is, to cool is, people. Yeah, I definitely will. I definitely will. So, um, I, I just really, really given to people who will read it, given to people who will read it. Yeah, absolutely. So, but, but seriously, like listening, we've only covered the tip of the iceberg of what's in this book, but I guarantee if you've been fully engaged and you're hanging out with us right now, that means that you've heard something that can absolutely trans your life. Just think of transform your life. Just think about the, the, the shift of your identity of, of living from a future-based self versus a past-based self. Um, it's just that, that alone, uh, can transform everything. And so I'm really grateful for you hanging out and listening, whether this is the first episode you listened to, or, uh, you, you're a long time listener, but I'm just super grateful for you hanging out with us and, uh, expanding your mind. So, uh, Ben, any final things that you want to say before we, we wrap up today and, uh, and maybe add anything else that you would want them to check out besides 10 X. Nah, check out 10X. Um, I think that the the coolest thing about this is, is the recognition that you've done it many times before. You, mm. anyone who's listening to this has made a commitment and transformed their life to that commitment such that they let go of many aspects of their past self. And that's really what this is. And it's an invitation to stretch your thinking again, to think about what, because for, you know, for me, for you, like the things that are normal for you right now they seemed impossible to some form of your past, to some version of your past self. Mm -hmm. And so the things that seem impossible to you now will at one point be normal to your future self. And so uh, I, I, I love the knowledge that impossible can, is, is just from your very limited subjective perspective. Mm -hmm. um, and then I guess it's just an invitation to clarify what's 10x for you. What is the 10X you most want that has nothing to do with anyone else? My own vision is my own. Once you start operating out of want um, and you're in that gain mindset, you don't really deal with things like imposter syndrome anymore because you're no, now no longer letting other people's judgments uh, overly concern you. It's like, you're just being you, you're free. Mm -hmm. um, and so I would just say, clarify the 10X that's most exciting for you and then, then let that 10X determine the 20%. The 20% is what you're going to go all in on and what you're going to focus on. And then comfortably let go of the 80%. You don't have to let it all go at once, but let go of more and more, whether that's getting a who so that you don't have to do those activities anymore, like answering your email, whatever that is, or just stripping it away, letting go of those things that are not the David. And as you do this more and more, where you let go of more and more that's not the David, that 80%, which got you here, but it's no longer useful. It's just amazing. What you can create in your life. Like, seriously, it's freaking awesome. Um, you know, how deep the rabbit hole goes and kind of the transformations that are possible and also the amazing relationships you can create and the freedoms that you can have, whether that's in 
better time, better money, better relationships, better purpose to use Dan's language. And it's just, just, it's just a beautiful process of change. So yeah, I just, I encourage anyone to listen to it or read it. That's so beautiful. Don't want to add anything else to that besides I, I love you, man. I, I really appreciate your time. This has been so much fun. And uh, yeah, I love you, man. You soon. <laughs> I, I, this is one thing I want to say is Brandon Fong is a freaking good person. I've, I've known you for five years. You are the real deal. You just keep going. And like, I don't know. I'm, I'm excited to see your future self, but like, dude, I, I love you. And anyone who's listening to this podcast, you're in the right place. Cause this guy is the real mm-hmm. deal. Seriously. You are Brandon. You. You're the real deal. Thank you. I, I accept that. And I appreciate that. Yeah. The feelings are absolutely mutual, my friend. So I appreciate you and uh, we'll do, I'm sure this is, this is the continuation of a saga. I'm sure we'll be doing many more of these. So appreciate you. And we'll talk to you soon, brother. See you, brother. Hey, Brandon here again. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Dr. Benjamin Hardy as much as I did. And I just wanted to record one final thing by myself. I'm recording this the week that the episode is actually going live. And I think one of the most important concepts that Ben and Dan talk about in 10X is easier than 2X is something that we got towards the end of the interview. And that is wanting what you want. The reason why I wanted to put this episode as one of the first episodes of Beyond Curious is because Beyond Curious to me is the representation of what I want. It is what I choose. It is the thing that I'm going all in on for this next part of my journey. So I would encourage you to think deeply about that question. What do you want? And if you haven't listened to episode number 140 of the show, that is one of the core questions that I think is incredibly important to answer. And it is simultaneously a very difficult question to answer. And so if you haven't listened to episode 140, I actually give multiple perspectives on how to address that question. But anyways, I just wanted to say again, how much I appreciate you. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And as always, stay curious.